right. Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to be with you. Thank you, team, for, wow, leading us. That was wonderful. What a wonderful Savior. We were singing that last part. I won't go there. I'm going to start crying. Yeah. God is so good. That was beautiful. My name is Matthew. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it is my privilege to open God's word with you all this morning as we continue our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. And I want to show you a short video clip that explains the inspiration behind the very first song we sang at the beginning of the service called Raise a Hallelujah. This year, as a, a Bethel Music family, a few days before Christmas, most of you guys probably were a part of this miracle, but we watched... Um, Joel and Janie Taylor's little son, Jackson. And he was, a few days before Christmas, airlifted to intensive care. And we began to fight for Jackson's life. How many of you guys joined in that fight and that symphony of prayer that rose up for a little boy? And a couple, couple weeks into the fight, we got a text one night from Joel that they weren't sure if he was gonna make it through the night. And as soon as I heard and read the message, it was like this giant of unbelief stood in front of me. And I just, I just thought, Jackson's gonna die tonight. Mm. We're not gonna see the miracle. And as this giant stood in front of me, all of a sudden, out of my gut, this song started coming out right in the face of the giant. giant was looking at us I knew he was going to regret the day he ever pointed his sword at Jackson just as Goliath pointed his sword at David the sword Goliath pointed at David became the sword the little boy picked up and took the giant's head off with and as we watched this miracle happen in Jackson's body it was like this giant of unbelief was falling and our community just began to sing this song. It was just one note in the symphony of prayer rising for his life. So I want to teach it to you this morning. Let's sing. <clears throat> There's a powerful line in the video when he said that Jackson's health had taken a turn for the worse. And little Jackson probably wasn't going to make it through the night. And he said, it was like a giant of unbelief stood in front of me. My guess is that everyone in this room and those watching the live stream have all experienced something in life that seemed like there was going to be no way through it, like it was impossible to overcome. Each of you has your own story about that. Maybe it's a broken relationship that seems like it will never be reconciled. Maybe it's watching a friend or family member walk away from God. Maybe it's a health concern that seems untouchable with an inevitable end result. Maybe it's an addiction that just seems too strong. And what's interesting is that when we face these crisis moments in life, 
It seems like they can have this power over us where we weaken in our faith in God and pretty soon that unbelief seems like a giant looming in front of us. We are looking up, but we can't see God anymore. All we see is the impossible. I remember a number of years ago when we lived in Revelstoke, uh, we went to the Roxy Theater, that's what the movie theater there was called, and we went there to watch The Lord of the Rings. So as you know, over a three-year period, this movie was released, they released a new one each Christmas. And we didn't have much financially at the time, so this was a big deal to, to go to the movie. We were pretty excited. Anyhow, the seating in the Roxy Theater didn't quite have the same height difference as it does here at the, or the Cineplex Theater. So, you know, if somebody tall sits in front of you at the Cineplex, you can still see over them. Well, it wasn't like that at the Roxy Theater. So guess what? We're at the movie, and the place is packed, and then this guy comes and sits right in front of us. And not only was he tall, he was wearing a cowboy hat. Are you kidding me? First of all, it's Revelstoke. You either wear a baseball cap or a toque. Nobody wears cowboy hats. So needless to say, Renee had a, a great view of the cowboy hat and spent the whole movie trying to look around the guy to see the screen. In the same way that the cowboy hat blocked Renee's view of the screen, our unbelief can block our view of what is possible with God. I'd like to invite you to bow your heads with me as I just open in prayer. Heavenly Father, in reflecting on the video we just watched with little Jackson, who was dying, and how the church cried out for your mercy and he was healed, we want to thank you for showing your mercy to this little boy and to his parents. I also thank you for their story and how it challenges our own belief in you. Holy Spirit, would you open our ears to hear the truth of your voice from Scripture and open our mouths to be able to raise a hallelujah when everything around us is telling us to be silent. And if there's any power or presence that is here and is trying to prevent us from hearing your voice or singing your praises, we ask in your name, Jesus, to take it captive and send it away. Come, Holy Spirit, fill this space and the hearts of your people with your peace. Amen. So today's text is found in Mark 9, 14 to 29. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up to there, or you can look it up on your phone. Um, when I start going through the text, I'll be using the New Living Translation. Instead of reading the text or having somebody come up and read the, the Scripture text this morning, we're going to watch the story unfold before our eyes as, this, as the Scripture is narrated to a video made by Gospel Films. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. 
Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. So much different watching it unfold, isn't it? It goes from just something that we read and, and try to understand mentally, and all of a sudden it just lands in your heart. Let's begin walking through the good news story together. We're picking up where the story ended last week, where Jesus took three disciples, Peter, James, and John, up a mountain. And before the disciples' very eyes, they saw a revelation of Jesus in his glorious divine splendor. And a mysterious appearance of Moses and Elijah, who spoke with Jesus about the events he was to face in Jerusalem. When the mountaintop experience was over, and Moses and Elijah disappeared as mysteriously as they arrived, Jesus and the three disciples started heading back down the mountain. Now as they return to the valley bottom, they will be reminded that not only does Jesus far surpass Moses and Elijah in power and authority, but he also far surpasses the spiritual realm in power and authority. So we continue our text today in our true story in verse 14. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. It's interesting to note here that there is a biblical tradition of mountaintop experiences followed by valley bottom confrontations. In Exodus 32, Moses was on the mountaintop spending time with God, receiving worship instructions for Israel and the Ten Commandments. And while this was happening, God told him he needed to return to the valley because the people were rebelling. So he did, only to find that the people had returned to their idol worship and pagan celebration, leading to a confrontation between Moses and God's people. In 1 Kings 18 and 19, we have the story of Elijah on the top of Mount Carmel, where he defeated the 450 prophets of Baal, when he called on God to send down fire and burn up the meat sacrifice on the altar, and the prophets of Baal couldn't do it. After this great victory, Elijah returned to the valley bottom, where he was confronted by Queen Jezebel, who wanted to kill him. So we can see that the mountaintop-like moments spent with God are often met with the oppression of the forces of darkness who wish to discourage us and try to get us to forget the all-powerful, loving, and compassionate God we met in that mountaintop moment. That's what has happened here in our story. Jesus and the three disciples have had a literal mountaintop experience and have returned to the valley bottom only to find a conflict brewing between the disciples and some religious leaders. 
Verse 15, when the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe and they ran to him. Usually in the book of Mark, the crowds are described as being in a sense of awe after Jesus has finished teaching or after he performs a miracle. But this time they are full of exuberance at his arrival. The question is why? We're going to continue reading. Verse 16, what is all this arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk, and whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. We now have most of the context for this scene. Jesus arrives and asks what the arguing is about, but before anyone can answer him, a man in the crowd speaks out and says that he had brought his son, who is possessed by an evil spirit, to be healed by Jesus. When Jesus wasn't around, the dad turned to what he thought was his next best option, the disciples. As it turns out, they couldn't heal the boy. So the religious leaders took their failure as an opportunity to publicly discredit Jesus, maybe as a fake or an imposter. I think we can see why the crowds were so happy to see Jesus. He was the respected rabbi, the master. Surely he had the power and authority to heal the boy when the disciples didn't. A number of years ago, um, we had an incident that happened with our cell phone and our cell phone provider. When we purchased our first phone, it was meant to be like for emergencies when we were traveling or if I was at the grocery store and I needed to call home. It wasn't intended for social, social use at all. So we just set up our credit card to renew the texting plan each month as it came up because it was cheaper than getting a, a yearly plan. Anyhow, as time went on, one of our kids' best friends, their family got a cell phone, and they wanted to text each other for fun. So here's an example of what their texts look like. So this is, what they didn't realize is that you would text a whole sentence and then hit send. So this is, hi, hi, how are you? And so they're sending each word, right, each time. Did you see the dog? Yes. So that's how this went on. And so they sent hundreds of texts over a month. Well, at the end of the month, our phone bill arrived. In the mail, this is when they use mail for bills, and we were shocked to see that it was just over $1,200. So I immediately called the phone company, explained that something was wrong because our bill was showing that uh, the automatic renewal for our monthly plan didn't renew, so we shouldn't be responsible for this bill. And they agreed. That's good news. But they said they couldn't help me. So I probably spent at least three hours that day on the phone talking to different representatives, getting past each one, and it just ended with them saying, hey, can you call back tomorrow and try somebody else? Okay, so I did, and the same thing happened, basically about another three hours of talking. Finally, one of the representatives said they could knock it down to $800. Well, we didn't really have eight slices of bread, let alone $800, and then it happened. In a moment that I can only describe as inspired by the Holy Spirit, my lovely wife asked me for the phone, and she said the following to this phone representative. My husband has been on the phone for two days, and he has been nothing but kind and respectful, and you have admitted that this was your fault, and yet you say you can't help us. So that sounded pretty good. I, don't, I didn't really know where she was going with this, but this is when the magic happens. <laughs> <laughs> it was magical. Here it comes. 
She said, if you can't help us, let me talk to someone who can. And just like that, we were transferred from a little cubicle in Alberta to the headquarters in Quebec. And a man answered the phone, stated his high-ranking position, and asked what was wrong. And in 30 seconds, our $1,200 bill was erased. And the phone call was over. We had initially called expecting to get someone who could solve our problem, only to find out they didn't have the power and authority to make certain decisions. We needed to talk to the someone who had all the power and authority to help us with this particular issue. It's the same idea in our story today. The dad shows up with his son expecting to get the master, the rabbi, and instead he got the disciples who didn't have the power or authority he needed to heal this particular issue. The dad probably thought that if these are Jesus' disciples, then obviously they can do what Jesus does. Jesus has an interesting response to the father's explanation. Verse 19, Jesus says, You faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Sometimes with narrative stories, it's hard to tell the tone of the people talking, and it can also be challenging to know who they are talking to unless the passage tells us. In this verse, it doesn't say that Jesus turned and addressed the disciples specifically. For all we know, he was addressing the whole crowd. One possible clue comes at the end of that previous verse when the dad says that he had asked his disciples to cast out the evil spirit and they couldn't. And then immediately, Jesus says, you faithless people. In this case, it makes sense if we follow the thought that Jesus was addressing the disciples. But I'm not sure Jesus minded too much if the crowd overheard and felt the sting as well. I mean, these disciples had direct access to Jesus 24 hours a day, and he had previously given them authority to to heal and to cast out evil spirits. It had to be somewhat frustrating that for every situation that came up, they acted like it was the first time, and they had no idea what to do. But the truth Jesus wanted them to learn was that it's not about what amount of faith you can muster up to heal someone, It's always about God's will, and it's always about God's power. But right now, they don't even have that. And Jesus calls them faithless, without faith. Verse 19 continues. So Jesus says to his disciples, bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground with writhing and foaming at the mouth. Even the demons know who Jesus is, and every time they come into his presence, they scream and cry and beg for mercy. In this case, the evil spirit doesn't speak. Instead, it again uses violence to try to intimidate Jesus. It was so moving in our scripture video that we watched at the beginning of how they had Jesus go down on the ground and pull the little boy's writhing body into the safety of his embrace. When I see that image, I imagine Jesus whispering to the boy, my child, this evil spirit is not going to afflict you anymore. You are safe now. Jesus is not distracted by the outrageous behavior of the evil spirit, and he is not panicking, and he is not nervous about it. He knows where this is going, but he also knows there is someone else who needs compassion. At this point, I again picture Jesus still on the ground holding the child and and looking up at the boy's dad and doing something that Jesus was so good at doing. He turns his focus to the dad. 
and asks him a question. It's the same question that a doctor would ask you when you go to see them for something. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replies, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us. If you can, Jesus could have just healed the boy with a word or a touch like he had done for so many other people before. But I believe he knew there was something the dad needed to get off his chest. And sure enough, there was. This is a life and death situation for the son. The evil spirit is trying to kill him. There are no other options for the dad to help his boy. If Jesus doesn't come through, the next time people are gathering with his dad... It could be to bury his son. Have mercy on us. He didn't say, have mercy on my son. He, didn't, he said, have mercy on us. We both need your mercy, Jesus. I can't go on watching this horror show unfold in my boy. Me and my son need your help. And then the dad adds three more words that reveal the state of his belief. If you can. He seemed so confident at the beginning of this story when he first explained to Jesus why there was an argument happening between the disciples and the religious leaders. He said, I brought my son so you could heal him. That's a pretty definitive statement. I'll bring my son to you because you can heal him. But in reality, his belief could probably be described to be more like enthusiastic hope than a true belief that God had the power to heal. And I don't think it helped him when the disciples couldn't heal his son. They used the same methods as before, but this time nothing happened. So realistically, if they can't do it, what are the chances Jesus can? It seems this evil spirit is is just too powerful. Verse 23, what do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Again, it's hard to get Jesus' tone when we read what he says. I think our generation would say he sounds like he could be being sarcastic. What do you mean, if I can? Right? Because like, we're kind of a sarcastic generation that way. We could kind of interpret it like that. But I think to help us grasp Jesus' tone... You have to picture Jesus still on the ground, holding the quivering body of the boy, and Jesus looking up in the dad with eyes of compassion as deep as the ocean, asking him the question, and then Jesus allowing for a moment of silence for the dad to process what he meant. And then after a moment of silence, before the dad can respond, Jesus says, anything is possible if a person believes. Jesus is offering the desperate father hope. He's reassuring him that indeed he has come to the right place to receive God's mercy and help. And before anyone can even take another breath, the father blurts out an honest and humble confession. I want to believe you. I want to believe you can heal him. I just can't get there on my own. Help me overcome my unbelief. James Edwards in the Gospel of Mark Commentary puts it this way. True faith is always aware how small and inadequate it is. The father becomes a believer not when he amasses a sufficient quantum of faith, 
but when he risks everything on what little faith he has. When he yields his insufficiency to the true sufficiency of Jesus, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. True faith looks to the more powerful one who stands in the place of God, whose authoritative word restores life from chaos. The power and violence and stubborn resistance of the evil spirit in the boy had created a giant of unbelief in the father. He had almost completely resigned himself to believing that it was impossible for his son to be healed. But for now, for the first time in years, Jesus has given him hope, and that hope has caused the giant of unbelief to grow a little smaller. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. This whole scene is gaining too much attention. Jesus wants to do more ministry in the towns in the area. But if this crowd keeps growing, it will be impossible. So he speaks directly to the evil spirit and he rebukes it. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, I command you to come out. The spirit may be able to make it so the boy can't hear and speak, but the evil spirit can't play that card with Jesus. It hears him, and it has to obey his words. Jesus doesn't give the spirit a name. He addresses just two manifestations in the child. Although you may have thought he should address the violence, or the foaming at the mouth, and grinding of teeth, or the act of forcing the child to jump into water or fire, or to become rigid like he was frozen. But those were just side hustles, smoke screens. They were behaviors to try and throw Jesus off of their scent. In fact, we also learn that at the end of Jesus' command to the evil spirit, that it may have been able to come and go as it wished out of this little boy. Or maybe it had been cast out previously but was able to re-enter the child. Either way, Jesus has permanently closed this door. The spirit won't be back. Verse 26, then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. For the first time in our story, the spirit makes a noise as it screams in protest and once more tries to intimidate Jesus by throwing the boy into violent convulsion. But it's done. Jesus has cast it out. Then the verse continues. The boy appears to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet. And he stood up. The boy's body is in shock. It was a traumatic event in which the evil spirit had full dominion and control over the boy's functions. And now, suddenly, it's gone. It's almost like when you reboot your computer or your phone. There are a few moments when it looks like it's not turning on, then all of a sudden you see circles swirling, and the screen starts flashing at you as it wakes up and resets itself for use again. It's like that with the boy. He's waking up to the world for the first time in years without the controlling destructive behavior of this unwanted evil intruder. I'm sure at first when people saw the boy laying on the ground looking dead, it could have looked like Jesus had failed the rescue mission and the boy was killed by the evil spirit. But that wasn't the case at all. And after the boy had had a moment to re-engage with the world, Jesus took the boy's hand and helped him to his feet. And now we end with verse 28 and 29. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out the evil spirit? And Jesus replied, this kind can only be cast out by prayer. 
Some translations add prayer and fasting. We have come full circle now back to the disciples. At the beginning of our story, we were told that they had failed to cast out the spirit of the boy. Then they stood by and watched how Jesus was able to cast out. I'm sure this is quite confusing for them. Just weeks before, Jesus had given them the authority to go out and heal people and to cast out demons. And according to their response, when they returned home from their ministry tour, they had a lot of success. So why not now? We don't have a lot to go on with Jesus' response. Besides him saying this kind of spirit needed prayer to be cast out. This seems to imply that to date the disciples had not been using prayer this way in their ministry efforts. And Jesus wanted to teach them to do everything with full dependence on God. The story also, this story also appears in the Gospel of Matthew. And at the end of the story when the disciples asked Jesus why they couldn't heal the child, Jesus says this. You don't have enough faith. I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Interesting words of Jesus. First off, he tells them they don't have enough faith, and then he tells them that even with a mustard seed size of faith, God can do great things. Jesus teaches the, same, uh, the disciples this same principle about faith in Mark chapter 8. When Jesus and the disciples are crossing the lake, the disciples start arguing as they forgot to bring food, and all they had was one small loaf of bread. And Jesus says this to them, why are you arguing, arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Twelve, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet, he asked them. All they had in the boat was one small loaf of bread. And Jesus was saying, with God, one loaf is enough to do great things. You must have faith, and if all you have is one small loaf amount, that is enough for God. And now here, in their failed attempt to cast out the evil spirit, Jesus says, with God, one small mustard seed is enough to do great things. You must have faith, and if all you have is one small mustard seed, and that is enough for God. So where does this story leave us today? Well, I think it helps us if we try to understand what it meant to the people in the story and to those it was written to. So begin, for the people in the story, we look at the disciples. This experience with the evil spirit in the boy highlighted their need for depend, to be dependent upon God and not themselves. The sense of inadequacy the disciples felt was not to condemn them. It, was meant to drive them. it wasn't meant to drive them to despair and unbelief. As one commentary puts it, rather, inadequacy drives the disciples to prayer, which is God's gift to them and another form of fellowship with Jesus as their Lord. So Jesus invited them to enter into a continuous prayer life with God so they could come into alignment with his will as it is in heaven and to access his power and authority. And I think the dad in our story was also on par with how the disciples were feeling. And in his desperation, his feelings of inadequacy also drove him to Jesus. And that led him to professing his belief, lack of belief and his need for Jesus to help change that. 
Okay, so what about the people who this book was written for in the first place? What would this text mean to them? Well, if you remember, when we first introduced this series, we talked about how Mark wrote this letter to Christians who were being Gentile Christians who were facing persecution in Rome and the surrounding areas. I think this chapter would remind them of two things. First, that Jesus, that just as Jesus' power and authority far surpassed Moses and Elijah, and even the strongest evil presence, so too his power and authority far surpasses that of their persecutors. And secondly, that to access God's power, they need to have faith and live a life of dependency upon God by staying continuously connected to him by prayer. So what about us today? What does this text speak to us? Well, to answer this, I'm going to ask you to grab that little card that was on your chair when you came in. And you'll notice that on one side there are two questions, and on the other side there's a prayer. So I just want you to look at the side that has the two questions on it. I'm just going to read question one to you. Is there anything that is before you right now that you've allowed to become a giant of unbelief in your life? Is it so big you're having a hard time seeing Jesus? So I just want you to think about that question for a moment. So I just want you to hold on to that answer. Question number two, does that giant of unbelief leave you feeling inadequate, driving you to Jesus for help, or has your feeling of inadequacy been driving you to feel fearful and hopeless? When you feel you have an answer for that, you can turn your card over. So this is a prayer that I would just encourage you to use. I'll just read it over you. Father, I bring you my situation of, and you can put in that blank spot, whatever is causing you to doubt God and create unbelief. Father, I bring you my situation that I am allowing to cause my unbelief. I confess that I have focused more on the difficult situation or crisis and have given it access to overtake me and drive me to despair. So in my desperation, I come to you with my mustard seed amount of faith and ask that you would have mercy on me and help me. I do believe your power and authority surpasses my situation, but help me overcome my unbelief. Today, I choose to be dependent upon you by pursuing a continuous life of communion with you through prayer. So I just invite you to take a moment and just read through that silently on your own and insert into that space if you have something in there. And then make that paragraph your own prayer.
Amen. I would invite you to take that card home, and I encourage you to keep it on your fridge or stick it in your Bible. And when you feel those moments of unbelief creeping up again, I would encourage you to pray it. I'd like to call the music team to come back up, and as they do, I just want to pray over you guys before they lead us. So bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for this true story and for having mercy on both the Father and the Son. Today, we have sought you in prayer with our small amount of faith, and we now humbly ask that you would raise us up and restore us from our brokenness that has revealed itself as unbelief in our lives. Would you come now and by your resurrection power, Holy Spirit, open our ears to hear your words of life, and open our mouths so we can proclaim your praises louder than unbelief. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever.